Okay, well, <clears throat> so if you, if you uh, haven't been with us, or even if you, if you have, let me just kind of recap. Um, the main idea of this series is that there is one God who exists eternally in three persons. Okay, so one God, one being, or one existence as God, but he's made up of three distinct persons. Three persons um, that are all divine and, and simultaneously fully God. So <clears throat> throughout history, we've seen uh, different groups, though, that have tried to resolve this, this paradox by letting go of one side or, or the other, um, rather than reading God's word and re- relying on the trustworthiness of Scripture, they bend what God says to fit their chosen perspective. And, and guys, isn't that, isn't that the case with so many of the cultural conflicts that we have with Scripture? Um, we, we take Scripture and, we, and we, we bend it or we dismiss part of it and say, oh, well, that's old, things have changed, or, or that's not what God really intended or something. We, we do this so often. To, to bend what God says to fit what we want him to have said rather than relying on the trustworthiness of, of Scripture. But the Trinity is the only view of God that is faithful to everything that God has revealed about himself in the Bible. And so today's, today's uh, uh, main idea, let me see if this is going to work for me, it was giving me fits earlier today too. Did you do that or was that a delay? You did it. Okay. Um, but, but the main idea is that the Trinity shapes how Christians actually live every day. See, this isn't just an abstract theological theory. It's actually a practical guide for how we live our lives. So in this series, we've already touched on a few of the ways uh, that the doctrine of the Trinity has has important practical implications for our everyday lives. We talked about it uh, two weeks ago. We talked about how the Trinity is demonstrated through our prayer life. And we also talked about how uh, the Trinity manifests itself uh, in salvation. <clears throat> so today we're going to talk about three more areas where the, the biblical doctrine of the Trinity matters in, in how we live. So my first point here My first point here is that the Trinity teaches us to live in, in humility. Now, biblical humility means believing what God says about you over what anyone else's opinion is, including your own. And so it, it teaches us first to be humble before God. And the Trinity is so complex and mysterious that it, that it does humble us, it will humble us, because God is infinite and we are finite, right? God is powerful and, and we're powerless. God is holy and we are wretched and flawed. He's exalted and we are lowly. See, the world, though, the world teaches us that we are masters of our domain, that we are world changers. But the reality is, we can't do anything good on our own. See, God's greatness, the, the reality of God focus, uh, or excuse me, it, it forces us to be humble in our knowledge. And this isn't something that should, should cause fear of the unknown. Um, see, as we get to know the character of God, it allows room for mystery in life. It allows us to be, to, to comfortably, accept the unknown. 
And so one way to, to show this is in worship. Sorry, go back. <clears throat> um, it, this verse right here that's on the screen, Psalm 99, one through five, it says, the Lord is king, let the nations tremble. He sits on the throne between the cherubim. Let the whole earth quake. The Lord sits in majesty in Jerusalem, exalted above all, uh, above all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Your name is holy. Exalt the Lord our God. Bow low before his feet, for he is holy. Now, guys, does this look like anything that we can compare ourselves to? Uh, sitting on, a, on his throne between the cherubim? I mean, think about that. Nobody, nobody, you know, let the nations tremble. Think about that. Nobody hears the, the name, here's your name, and, and nations don't tremble, right? They don't even think of our, our political leaders and kings and presidents and stuff. People don't tremble at that name. That's how big God is. This, is a, this really is a declaration of how awesome God is. And, and this great infinite God really is worthy of our adoration and, and, and worthy of our awe, worthy of our wonder. And so this is really interesting though, because there's a, there's a response written in here for us, right? It says, uh, it says to bow low, meaning that we need to humble ourselves before him. Now it's important to understand that this isn't, this isn't a, this isn't shame that's, draw, that's driving us to bow low here, right? This isn't self-deprecation. This is about glorifying God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all worthy of our worship. And in worship, we glorify the Father, and we glorify the Son, and we glorify the Holy Spirit. But the Trinity also teaches us to live in humility toward each other. See, the, relations, uh, the relationship between the three persons of the triune God model mutual honor of each other. See, the Son doesn't glorify himself, but the Father, just as the Father glorifies the Son. See, right here, uh, we see God receives glory because of Jesus here in, in verse 31 up here. It says, and it says, uh, as soon as Judas had left the room, Jesus said, the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. And Jesus receives glory because of the Father. In the next verse, it says, and since God receives glory because of the Son, he will give his own glory to the Son, and he will do so at once. And then similarly, the Spirit does not glorify himself, but the Son. I don't have a slide for this one, but in John 16, verse 13, it says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. So each of the three seek to promote and, and elevate each other, not themselves. Wouldn't that be a cool, isn't that a great way to, to, to treat the people around us? Imagine, imagine, you know, if that was, if that was the, the way that the world interacted. But it's, it's sinful human instinct, though, to elevate ourselves and to point attention uh, and, and credit to ourselves here, though. But really, think about it. If, we, if everybody promoted and, and elevated and honored 
others, wouldn't that be a wonderful world to live in? If we did that and then in turn they did it back, the world would be so much different than it is now. And another expression of, of this kind of, of humility is, is serving others. Um, now the context of, of, of Jesus' comments here in chapter 13 is that he has just gotten done washing the disciples' feet, okay? And, and uh, you know, it goes on and says that Peter was, was you know, he was protesting this. He didn't, he didn't think that that, was, that that was right. But can you imagine what an honor that would be to have, what, what an honor that would have been for Jesus to get down and wash your stinking feet? Even now, I'll bet many of you, like me, um, your first instinct is that you would be, that it would be humiliating for us to have Jesus wash our feet, right? Um, but that is an example of the, the, that, that prideful human nature of ours to always pay most attention to how it affects us. But the fact is, here in this passage, Jesus is the one that's showing humility by serving. And he told you to do likewise. He told me to do likewise. He told the disciples to do likewise. We mirror a likeness to God when we humble ourselves and we serve other people around us. So, so the application here is, is how, how will you serve others? Where will you find opportunity to serve others? There's lots of informal ways, right? Like in our, in our um, interactions with, with, with people, with our relationships, in our, in our family, with our spouse, right? Uh, with with the, the cashier at Walmart. There's lots of opportunities for us to serve other people that are just kind of informal ways of putting their needs before our own. But there's also some formal ways that we can, that we can serve uh, as well, right? Um, there's lots of volunteer opportunities in your community. You could get involved with that, that ministry that you follow. You can get involved here at church. And, and there's opportunities to serve other people and to, to serve our community. Wouldn't it be great to serve the person that's sitting next to you or the person that's across the room from you right now by teaching their kids in kids' church? so that they have the ability to come in here and learn and grow as well? Or by keeping the building nice and clean um, so that people feel comfortable when they come in and, and, and try this place out new, right? That would be a great way to be able to serve other people. Let me tell you about my friends Adam and Kelly right here. These guys serve on or lead a handful of different places. In fact, I had to ask Megan uh, recently to stop scheduling them as greeters just to take something off of their plate. But you know why they serve so many places? Because they love you. Because there's a need. They recognize that need and they jump right in. And I'll bet they're probably pretty tired. You know, we, sometimes we burn the candle at both ends and, and that sort of thing. I'll bet they're pretty tired, but they continue to do it because they love you. Isn't that awesome? I love that. They love you and they love this community. Well, that, te- that, that, that leads me to my, my second point here, which is, which is, which is, <laughs> this. 
The Trinity teaches us to live in community with electronics. See, in the Trinity, we see that God is always in community within himself, right? He's always existed as, as three persons from eternity past. And, and relationship and community are built into God's very nature and always have been, into his very existence, I heard uh, Pastor Ross explain it um, when he was talking about this. He, was, he, he, he said that uh, ancient theologians used to um, describe this relationship in the Trinity as a complex dance, right? Now, if you have ever watched, you know, um, you know dancing or, or, you know, something like that, and you see there's, there's oftentimes one party that's, that's leading, right, um, at, at different times maybe, but, but that, that each party... Um, is is synchronized, right? And they are they are um, they're they're in community with each other, and they they move along with each other, and they're they're synchronized. And it really is an amazing thing to think about that that triune aspect of God interacting with, within itself that way. One theologian said that the Trinity is the first community and the ideal for all communities. And I think about that. That's pretty powerful. The Trinity is the, is, is the first community, and it's the ideal for all communities. All communities throughout all of time should be like the, the should have that same characteristics uh, of, the, of the Trinity in, in being in community with each other. See, God's love within himself is the basis for Christians to love each other, but you know, it's important to explain that the church, the church is not a, really, not a perfect example um, of the Trinity. We're imperfect sinners. We are not uh, one in essence or one in being, right? But the Trinity models the actions and, and virtues that sustain community, teaching us what true community likes. So the Trinity is a really great example to the church of what we, how we should be. So think about what the love of, of the Trinity is like and what that means for us. How, and, uh, in other words, how do the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit relate among themselves? How do they together relate to all of creation? Well, it teaches us, there's four aspects of, of true community that it teaches us. The first one is, let's see, the first one is loving unreservedly, right? In 1 John 4, 7, it says, it says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. See, the reason that we love each other is because God is love, and he demonstrates it for us. And love is essential to the Trinity, you know, we usually think of this um, kind of in terms of God's love toward us, but that really is only, um, only one part of it. We do love each other because God loved us first, but also think about it in, in terms of God's love within himself, right? Within the, the Trinity. We love each other because of what we see in the Trinity. 
what is demonstrated there, the Father's love for the Son, the Son's love for the Spirit, the Spirit's love for the Father. And the second aspect of true community is forgiving freely. Now, the members of the Trinity, they, they don't need to forgive each other because none of them have ever sinned. But the way that God treats us points towards, uh, you know, tor- points us towards the approach that the people, um, you know, how we should treat the people in our lives who have, who have wronged us, who, have, who have, have sinned against us. In Colossians 3, 12, it says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. See, because we belong to God, we are the holy people that he loves, and we need to treat others with mercy and with patience and with kindness. We need to make allowances for people's mistakes. Make allowances for their faults and forgive them when they offend us because that's what God is like and that's, that's, how the, that's what God is like and that's how a triune God treats us. So the third aspect, third thing that the Trinity teaches us is living peaceably. Now there is never conflict within the Trinity But in in this passage in Colossians, it explains how we mirror that same kind of unity. In verse 14 and 15, it says, Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. True community involves living in harmony, and that is a byproduct of love. That's what it looks like when we live in peace. Now, we're not God, so that doesn't mean that we never have conflict or disagreement. It just means that we live in in reconciled relationships with each other, that we make an intentional effort to solve our disagreements, and, and, and that we look for ways to resolve conflicts. Now, one of the things that I have seen in my, you know, short time here in ministry is that when there's a conflict in the church, all too often people just silently leave without any effort to get to the bottom of it. And that's not how healthy families work though, right? So community is broken because we refuse to seek out peace, because we, we, we refuse to seek reconciliation with people. The fourth aspect that the Trinity teaches us is serving connectedly. The Trinity models how community involves different roles, different roles within a greater community, right? We saw this um, over the last couple of weeks. We've seen this, how, how the Trinity uh, models the unique roles that, that, that each person in the, tri- in the Trinity uh, has right the Bible goes on and it uses a, a, a similar uh, analogy when it talks about one body with many parts right in uh, in 
1 Corinthians 12, it says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of, some of us are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all sh- uh, share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. And so this, you know, in this analogy, um, each, each body represents a different function, a, de- a different important vital function, right? Like, like seeing and, and hearing and walking and, and you know, eating and lifting. And each, each of these functions is vital to the, to the health and well-being of the whole church. They're all interconnected in one larger unity, one, one larger purpose, right? It says that this deep connection that we have is, is greater than our diverse backgrounds. And, and even, even our, our, our own personal opinions, it reflects the work of the, of the one Holy Spirit in all of us. It really is a unity with diversity. That's what the Trinity is, a unity with diversity. And, and the church is similar to that, right? We're a, le- a different and, and lesser kind of unity, but it's still something that's profound. All these different parts coming together for the bigger picture. Now, so what's the application here? Well, the application is this, guys. You weren't designed to go it alone. As Christians, God's very best for us is that we live in community that reflects the Trinity. You need to connect with other Christ followers. You need to connect with other Christ followers. One of the best ways we think here is, you know, like what Zach said earlier, is to join a small group. Um, a small group is just simply an opportunity for us to, a small group of us to come together and talk about the, these life issues, right? right? To talk about the, the sermon series or whatever study it is, but we come together in community to, to share our experiences, to hear somebody else's experiences and their perspectives, to value them and together grow closer to God, Another really great way is to join a serving team. We have lots of serving teams here. How about just meeting somebody new? How about simply engaging with somebody in the lobby? Right? Maybe the person down the row from you right now, after the service. Maybe eventually you, can, uh, you start inviting people over to your home and, and doing things together. But the idea, guys, is that we come together as community that we don't simply see somebody you know, with a, a friendly nod of, oh, I think I go to church with that guy. That's, that's not the idea. It's about being involved in people's lives. It's about recognizing that, that these families here have, have similar needs. They're on, on the same path as us. And so we want to come alongside them and grow with them. Community matters. And we see that in the very nature of God. And the third point here is that the Trinity teaches us to live on mission. Now, guys, this is really wanted, where I wanted to get to today. We've talked about some different roles of the members of the Trinity play throughout this series, especially when it comes to 
our salvation. So let's think about that for, for just a minute. The Father sends the Son, right? In 1 John uh, 4, it says, Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And then the Father and the Son send the Spirit. In John 15, it says, But I will send you the Advocate, the Spirit of truth. He will come to... He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. See, Jesus promises to send the Spirit, but he will come from the Father. Now, again, that seems kind of like a, it seems kind of abstract, right? So now you're saying, but Mike, what's that mean for for our everyday lives? Right, you were saying that? Okay, thank you for asking that question. Um, Well, it, it, it all clicks, guys when we realize that the Son sends the church with the help of the Spirit. Now, you, you and I, guys, have been sent on a mission. It is a continuation of the sending of the, of the Son and the Spirit. And this passage in, in John 20 says, Again, he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So you see the, the chain of events here. The Father sends the Son on on his mission to be Savior of the world. And in like manner, guys, Jesus sends us on our mission to make disciples throughout the world, to tell people about what Jesus has done. We're the messengers, and we get to spread that good news that Jesus paid for human sin on the cross. And he did that to reconcile us so that we can be in relationship, in community with God. Now, we can't do it without the Holy Spirit, and the good news is we don't have to, right? Because he is with us. In, in Acts 1.8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, in Brigham City, in Perry, at Walmart, at work, in your neighborhood, over the fence, at the dinner table, in a small group. So we saw just a moment ago in John 15 that the Holy Spirit's work is to testify about Jesus. And here we see that he does that, how? By empowering us. The purpose of the Spirit's power in our lives is to equip us to tell people about Jesus everywhere. Now for years, guys, I used to say, not me. I don't, I'm not smart enough. I don't have, uh, I don't have enough uh, biblical knowledge to evangelize. But the guys, the truth is I can tell my story. I can tell, I can tell people how Jesus affected my life. That's called my testimony, right? And the triune God works through his people to draw others to himself. We, his church guys, are the expression of God's kingdom in the world. We are the embodiment of that mission. So have you embraced your mission? See, the thing is, we're not here, guys, just to Netflix and chill. We're not here to, to climb the corporate ladder. We're not here to just to acquire stuff. Keep up with the Joneses or whatever. 
We're not even here to set up our kids for a good life. He gave us a purpose, guys. He sent us on a mission. I'm thinking about changing, our, changing this over and calling ourselves Task Force Brigham City so we remember that we're on mission. Jesus sends you just like God sent him and the Holy Spirit empowers you to testify of Jesus as he testifies of Jesus. Jesus left, hen- left uh, heaven to enter and engage our messy world and he sends us the exact same way. See, he didn't just give us information. He didn't just give us uh, uh, truth and knowledge. God sent his son who demonstrated compassion to hurting people and who spoke the truth that pointed people toward God. And in the same way, Jesus sends us out of our, our comfortable Christian bubble to engage our neighbors in their world with both compassion and with truth. So I'm gonna challenge you guys to leave your Christian cocoon and intentionally seek out ways to enter your neighbor's world and to, and to actually engage them. Invite them into your life, right? I know we've gotten used to uh, Zoom calls and things like that over the last couple of years. That's not who we're supposed to be. We need to be in relationship with people. Invite them into your life. Let God open the doors of conversation about those real world issues that your neighbors and your friends are already dealing with, just like you deal with. Invite them to come to church. Invite them to come and learn about Jesus. You guys can do this because the Holy Spirit empowers you to do it, to point people to Jesus and his good news and tell the message of the cross. So guys, as we close here, you know, through this series, I hope that you see that the, the biblical doctrine of the, of the Trinity, it may be hard to understand. Um, I hope that through this, I hope that through this series, you have gained the ability now to articulate it, right? Um, to be able to define the Trinity, um, even if none of us ever fully understands it. I hope you'll be able to show that this is, this is um, based on what the Bible says. It's faithful to everything that God has ever revealed about himself. And I hope you see that the Trinity isn't just some, some idealistic um, theological theory or, or speculation or something, but that it actually is a model for how we live our lives as a Christian. I hope that, that you will live in humility because of who God is. I hope that you will seek to live in community because of who God is. And I hope that you guys will also live to be on mission because of who God is.